These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and uh, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the uh, officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers, had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on his behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your holy word. We open our hearts, we open our minds to you, and we pray that you, your Holy Spirit would take these words and shape us by them, that you would inspire us by them, that you teach us by them. And so uh, we ask for you to speak to us now in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Amen. We are in a third week of a four-part sermon series on, that we're calling Feast on the topic of generosity. And this series has really two parts, goals to it. One is we're talking about the topics of giving, tithing. Uh, if you were here last week, we did a whole sermon on the tithe. If you weren't here, you might go listen to that and so you can hear how does our church understand that concept. The second part of this series is to be to talk about what kind of reconsider the vision and purpose, mission of Christ Church Bellingham. What has God called us to do to be in Bellingham and in Whatcom County? What is our mission? Well, this passage from Jeremiah 29, I think, has profound answers to that question of what does it mean to be the people of God? What does it mean to be the church? Because uh, this text comes from the beginning of the 6th century B.C., 
the Babylonians had invaded Israel and they had taken into exile many of the leaders of Jerusalem and, and uh, Judea and brought them into Babylon. Actually, the Babylonians had done that to many of the different people groups in the ancient Near East. They'd conquered all these people groups. And so Babylon had become this multi-ethnic place where people from all these different religions, all these different backgrounds, had been brought into exile to live in Babylon. And uh, that is where the Israelites found themselves in Jeremiah 29, a minority people in the brutal, unbelieving world of Babylon. And the book of Jeremiah tells us that there were two different messages going out to the people who were exiles. How do you, know, how do you be an exile? The first message came from a false prophet. His name is Hananiah, and he's in the chapter right before this one, Jeremiah 28. And Hananiah said, listen, the Babylonians are God's enemies. He is going to crush them in two years. Just hold on for two years. Huddle up. Keep yourself safe. Keep yourselves away from them, and the Lord's going to rescue you soon. And actually, if you listen to Hananiah's message, it's not unlike what you might hear from many fundamentalists, many evangelicals in American culture who would say, Jesus is coming soon. Let's huddle up somewhere. Let's keep ourselves safe from the culture around us. And he's going to come rescue us soon because, you know, God's really against that unbelieving secular world out there. Jeremiah the prophet comes to the people with a radically different message. And he, what he does is he sends a letter to the exiles in Babylon. That's what we just read, is the letter that he sends the exiles in Babylon. He says, listen, you're not going to be there for two years. You are going to be there for 70 years. God is going to keep you there. And you need to rethink how you are going to spend your time while you're in Babylon. Why? Verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The Lord says, I sent you there. I put you there. You know, they might have thought, oh no, Nebuchadnezzar came, the the king of Babylon came and destroyed our city, and then he brought us into exile. No, the Lord says it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, it was me who sent you into that place, and it's going to take decades for the purpose that I have to do through you to take form. It's going to take decades. And I want you to rub shoulders with the Babylonians and all the other people groups that I brought there because I have placed you in that city. This is an important message for us as a Christian community, as a church community in Bellingham. Whether you grew up in Whatcom County and you always lived here or you had never heard of Bellingham and that up in the corner of the United States and somehow you landed in this town, you are here because of God's divine purposes have brought you here and placed you here in this city. And I say more specifically for our church, our church was formed nine years ago and we had planned to be near the campus and to be downtown. Actually, our first year, we worshiped in a little children's auditorium downtown. And then all of a sudden, this building opened up back in this neighborhood. I'd never been on this street until we came to look at this building. And the Lord said, I have another place to put you. I have a neighborhood that needs a church, that needs a community to be placed in it. I'm going to put you there. God has put us here. He has sent us here. And so we have to ask the question, why? What is he intending to do through us here? This passage has incredible answers to that. 
And so I want to answer that big question by answering three related questions this morning. How do we see ourselves? How do we see our city? And how do we see the future? Three things that will answer that big question for us. How do we see ourselves? How do we see our city? And how do we see our future? And I think those three things will shape for us just say again why we exist in the purpose and the vision of Christ Church Bellingham. So three questions this morning. The first is this. How do we see ourselves? And the main word that's used in Jeremiah 29 to describe God's people is that word exile. It shows up a number of times in that text. You see there, verse 4 again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, that word exile isn't just used in the Old Testament. The Christians in the New Testament are in a number of places called exiles as well. We're called exiles in the world. And so what does it mean to be an exile? Uh, Tim Keller has said one way to think of it is an exile is a resident alien. And a resident alien has two components to it. First of all, exiles are residents. Exiles are People who have settled into a city that God has sent them, and they've become a part of the city. They're residents in the city. And you see how Jeremiah described that in verse 5, or the Lord in verse 5. Look at what he says. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they uh, may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. What he's saying is he's like, I want you to go to that city and you've got to have a long-term plan. You're going to have grandchildren there. Start businesses. Build houses. Be a part of the city that I'm sending you into. And what he's saying is don't hide in a Christian ghetto or a bubble. Make Babylon your home. Babylon's supposed to be the home of God's people. And, you know, I had a thought about this a couple of years ago. I was talking with uh, Tyson Smith, who's one of our deacons. And, you know, ever since when my kids were first born, I remember actually when my daughter Lucy was born, we were in the hospital and our pastor came in and he read Psalm 127 to us in the, hosp- in the hospital. If you know Psalm 127, it says your children are like arrows. And he says, you know, arrows are something that you shoot far away from yourself. And so you're training up these kids to send them out into the world. And so I've always had this thought, well, I love my kids, but I'm training them up. And then they're going to go off to college somewhere. And then they'll go off to some city or they'll go off to some part of the world to serve God. And I'm sending them away. And I was talking to Tyson and... If you know Tyson, he's the chair of our missions committee, so he definitely believes in sending, you know, people away to do missions. But he said, you know, we probably don't want to send all of them away. You know, we have all these kids who are growing up in this church, and we're discipling them, and they're listening to God's word, and they're praising him, and they're in these Christian homes, and they're coming to his table. And we have a school where we're training Christian children, discipling them. And if we want to transform Bellingham, they need to be here. And what Tyson is saying is something about, and I was, I was like, wow, it would be nice to have, <laughs> have him stay around. That would be great. That was freeing to me. But what Tyson is saying is he's touching on something from Jeremiah 29. <laughs> Multiply there and do not decrease. God intends us to become a part of the cultural landscape of Bellingham and Whatcom County, both as individual families but also this church body to be a part of the cultural landscape, shaping the culture, making a contribution to the cultural life of Bellingham. And so the first thing about exiles is that we're residents. We are making Babylon. We're making Bellingham 
our home. But second, exiles are also aliens. They're strangers. They don't exactly fit in, right? They, they feel a little bit out of place. And you see how this passage begins in verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile and the priests and the prophets and all the people. Now what's interesting here is Israel's been taken in this other city and yet they still have elders, they still have priests, they still have prophets. They are still the people of God. They're still, they're, they're still the chosen people and they need to maintain that identity while they are in this foreign land. And then again in verse 7 it says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord. And actually, you see how it says Lord is all caps. That's the name of the God of Israel, Yahweh. Pray to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Don't pray to the Babylonian gods. Pray to the God who sent you there on its behalf. Um, maintain your loyalty to the God of Israel. And how you think about work how you think about money, how you think about recreation, how you think about family, how you think about sex, all of these things need to remain distinct in the way that God taught you and don't become exactly like the Babylonians that are around you. You need to maintain your distinctiveness. Now that's a challenge for us. How do we both make Bellingham our home? We love this place, we're a part of it, we're a part of the culture, we're a part of the cultural landscape. And yet, we're radically different at the same time. We're shaped by the love of Jesus that will always make us strange in this world wherever we go. How do you do both those things? Well, the analogy the Bible uses is the Bible says that we are ambassadors. And an ambassador is someone who goes to live in a foreign country. An ambassador has to learn that country. You know, if you're an ambassador, you've got to not just learn the language. You have to learn all the subtle cues, the etiquette. You have to learn what the deep values are. You don't say this, do say this. You have to learn how to build relationships and have relationships in that other country. While at the, all, that, all the while maintaining that your ultimate loyalty is to the nation who sent you there to your government, to your king, or you know, to your nation, and you have to maintain your loyalty to them, that's who we are. Our ultimate loyalty is to Jesus. And yet he has sent us here as ambassadors to learn this culture, to know this culture, to appreciate this culture, to respect this culture, and yet to maintain the distinctiveness of the nation that we come from, the people we come from, the kingdom we come from. And so how do we see ourselves? What, what is the, our mission? How do we see ourselves? We are exiles. That means we are resident aliens. We are ambassadors. Okay? But being effective ambassadors is deeply connected to a second question for our mission. How do we see our city? Not only do, how do we see ourselves, but how do we see our city? How do we see Bellingham? What is our posture toward a community, a place like Bellingham? This is an important question. You know, when this church was starting, I told a lot of Christians, I said, hey, you know, I, I want to go start a church in Bellingham. And a lot of Christians told me, like, why do you want to go to Bellingham? There's, you know, no one, <laughs> they're all secular, pagan, kind of unbelieving people. And Christians don't just fit, don't really fit in there. I don't like being in Bellingham. And I was thinking, that's the opposite of how I feel about it. I, I love Bellingham. And that was a distinctive of what our church is about, is we are a city-positive church. 
We're, you know, we don't talk disparagingly about this city. We love this. We're thankful that this is the place we got sent to, right? There are a whole lot of other places you could have been sent. And praise God that his sovereignty sent me here. And part of the reason that we have that posture is because that's a posture that God has in this passage toward Babylon. And it's amazing. We see two things about the Lord's posture towards Babylon. First, that Babylon's a place that God loves. And what's amazing is Babylon was an absolutely brutal society. They had conquered all kinds of people groups and, and enslaved all kinds of people groups and brought them in, into exile. They worshipped all kinds of false gods. And they represented basically everything Israel was not supposed to be. God's people are not supposed to be. And yet, verse 7 says these amazing words from the Lord. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. The Lord says, I want to bless the Babylonians through you. That's why I've sent you there. He loves that place. Which must have been shocking to the Israelites. The Israelites must have thought, those are the guys who took us in exile. They destroyed our cities. And they're brutal. And we hate them. They're our enemies. We thought you were going to come crush them. And now you're going to say, I want you to go bring blessing to our enemies? Shocking. And in particular, that word... Welfare. Seek the welfare of the city. And that's a Hebrew word, shalom. Maybe you've heard the word shalom before, which usually is translated peace. But the translators here are saying, you know, peace is not a big enough word. We need to, it's, you know, because when we think of peace, we think of kind of inner peace. It's a personal thing. And welfare is this kind of society-wide thing. And uh, Cornelius Plantinga, who's a, he was a president of Calvin College, summarizes shalom this way. This is what he says. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words is the way things ought to be. Like if you imagine if everything went right in this world, what would it be like? That's shalom. And this vision of thriving, of delight, is the vision that the Lord has for Babylon. He wants shalom for them. That's the vision that he has for Bellingham, is shalom for Bellingham. And he wants us to seek that shalom in Bellingham for a second reason, not only because the Lord loves it, surprisingly, he loves it, but second, it's a place that we are connected to. And uh, th this past year, I, I read a book on urbanism, ur you know, urban planning and architecture by a guy who's a uh, chair of Graduate School of Architecture at Notre Dame. And he uh, talked about how cities have been important to Christians throughout Christian history. You know, if you read the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul goes to the urban centers or all around the Mediterranean world. And that's where in the Roman Empire, the first few centuries of, uh, of the Christian church, that's where uh, the gospel expanded the most was in cities. And, the, and cities have been important to Christians for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you read the Bible, you know, where does the Bible begin? It begins in a garden. But where does the Bible end? The Bible ends in a city. You see, you know, it talks about the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. God is building the city of God. And 
the reason why God's kingdom is a city is because the hallmark of God's kingdom is love your neighbor. And cities are simply places where you have neighbors. You put people together and they live by one another. And, uh, and that's why the Lord loves cities is because there's neighborliness. And Aristotle had also actually said that, that cities were an ideal place for people to live together because, you know, we all have these different gifts. And, and Aristotle said that a city is like a body. And people are good at different things and they serve and they care for one another in a city. And so Christians, too, said, we think cities are important because we want to have neighbors because there is a connection between people in cities. People's lives are tied up with one another. When we're in this community, our life is tied up with the Birchwood Elementary, and, the, and, the, and we, need, we want to be more tied up with the neighbors on our streets. And this is precisely what the Lord says to Jeremiah, verse 7. He says again, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Our shalom and the shalom of Bellingham are tied up together somehow. And so Christians became committed to building and designing cities all throughout Europe for the next thousand years. But Christians were also realists about that. They say, you know, having a neighbor is not necessarily a good thing. You know, some of you have a neighbor that you know who I'm, you know, that you're thinking of, like, oh yeah, that neighbor is not good to live next to you. And some of you might live out in the county precisely because I don't like having neighbors. I'm not dissing on living in the county. But neighbors are a blessing when they're good and when they're loving and when they're generous. And so what Christians said were that the only way cities would be places of shalom is if cities had at their center places of spiritual, intellectual, moral formation that shape the hearts and the souls, the character of the people in the city. So the people would come into the center and they'd be shaped and they'd be renewed and then they'd go out and then they'd actually love and serve their neighbors. And they said, if you don't have that, it doesn't make a city necessarily a good place because you cram a bunch of humans together. People needed to be transformed. And so they placed, literally at the center of their city planning, when they plant a a city, there would be a church, or there'd be a monastery, or there'd be schools, or there'd be other institutions that formed the people of the community. And actually, one of the things that that author said about the city of London, the city of London in the 16th century, or 17th century, was a uh, fairly small, dense city. And developers started taking chunks of land from all around London, and they take these chunks of six to ten acres, and they would make a square in the middle of the six to ten acres, and then build like homes really tightly around these squares. And often they'd put a parish church right at the front of the square. And over the next 200 years, 400 of these little squares formed together to make what is now London, this great city. And that's why when you go to a European many European cities, and you say, why is there so much character? Why is there so much charm? And, you know, you walk from the, they all have this sense of identity. It was because of this city formation that, that, and that was often centered around church life. It was these parishes that were being built. We are a part of this neighborhood. What would it look like for this block, for our church, for, we have a, Birchwood Elementary School. We have a school in our church. 
to be a center of formation for Birchwood Elementary, a place where people came, they learned who God was, they learned who they were, they learned what love was, they learned what compassion was. And a place where then they were, you came into this place and it was set apart and you were shaped to go back out into the city and to love your neighbors. What if that was our cultural contribution to the landscape of Bellingham? Our church is not meant to simply be a place where we get recharged on Sundays as individuals. We are to play a role in this city to which God has sent us to seek its shalom. Because I think we have to think a little bit about what is Bellingham going to be like in 70 years? What is Bellingham going to be like in 70 years? It's going to be a big city. I mean, think about what was Seattle like 70 years ago? Or what was Tacoma like 70 years ago? Or what was Bellevue like 70 years ago? Radically different. This place is going to be different. And what's the Birchwood neighborhood going to be like in 70 years? It's not going to be a little fringe neighborhood on the edge of Bellingham. It's going to be one of the core Central, and it's already becoming more a core central part of the culture of this community. And God wants us to be a part of seeing that future and making it a future that is filled with his shalom. That is our mission. And what all this says is, Jesus has sent us to live here and seek the welfare of this place. We need to settle in. Raise children, teach them the gospel, start businesses, plant gardens, build relationships with the neighbors. But we need to not have a one to two year vision. We need to have a 70 year vision. That's what God is saying in Jeremiah. Don't think you're just leaving in two years. Think about your grandchildren. Think about the grandchildren, our grandchildren, who are going to be home group leaders and they're going to be ministry leaders. They're going to be elders and deacons in this church. That's what we're building for is to think that way, that this place, this community, will, ha- will be part of the formation of the city of Bellingham over the next century. That's the vision that the Bible gives us. Do we think that way? Do we think that that's what we're a part of? Well, I think this leads to the third question. Okay, So how do we see ourselves? We're exiles. Resident aliens who live here and yet are different. We're ambassadors. How do we see our city? We see this as a city that God loves and that we're deeply connected to and we're a part of the building of that city. The third thing is this. How do we see the future? And this passage goes on to say that Israel will not always be in exile. They won't stay in exile. Uh, They won't always be strangers living in a strange land. Look at what it says in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete for Babylon... I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So exile is going to end. And what is it going to be like at the end of exile, according to Jeremiah? Verse 11 gives a description. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, that's shalom. I have plans for shalom for you at the end of 70 years and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. The end of exile is shalom. They have this future that is coming of delight with the Lord in his presence. Um, And it's coming in the future. It's interesting how the Lord thinks. He says there is shalom coming in the future, so seek it in the present. 
There's shalom coming in the future. The, fu- the future shalom that you're dreaming about, long for it now in the place where God has placed you now. Now, what's interesting is that the 70 years for Israel passed, and then they did go back to Jerusalem, and they rebuilt Jerusalem, they rebuilt the temple, and yet they were still living under not the, the Babylonians, but now the Persians. And then for the next 400 years, they're not only living under the Persians, they're living under the Medes, they're living under the Greeks, they're finally living under the Romans. And it's not until their king comes, who is Jesus, who takes the exile upon himself. That's what the cross is. You know, the Bible says he became a curse. He took his people's punishment upon himself. He took the Roman oppression upon himself on the cross and he died. He was ending the exile because he rose from the dead and now the exile is over. And he's saying the time of Shalom has now come. The whole story tells us that true Shalom, true wholeness, true thriving is only a gift of the Messiah. And the way, that we become, the way that God's people would become ambassadors who knew that God loved Babylon and uh, that they were to seek its welfare was by looking forward to the coming shalom, and that's the same with us. The way we become a community that seeks the shalom of Bellingham is not by thinking we are the social justice warriors, not by thinking that we have shalom all figured out, How are we going to give peace and thriving and delight to others when we struggle to have it in our own lives? It struck me in this passage, God's people do not bring shalom. What do they do? They seek shalom. We're looking for shalom. We need shalom in our own lives. And our mission is not to be the saviors of Bellingham and Whatcom County, but to make a community of people seeking shalom. A people where people can come together and find the shalom that is offered in Jesus. A place where he can heal us. A place where he is present. A place where he can forgive and wash us. Where he can welcome the shamed. A place where he can disciple us in his love. A place where he can equip us to serve him and serve others. And we are simply inviting our neighbors to come alongside us to meet the one who is building the city of God in our midst, the Messiah, the King, Shalom himself. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for these beautiful words in Jeremiah, words of hope and promise that you would seek goodwill toward a city like Babylon. Lord, we long for this shalom in our own lives. And Lord, we know that we are not the source of shalom. But we long for this community to be a place where many come and find that wholeness, find that delight, find that flourishing and that thriving that is only ours in Jesus. Make us into that kind of people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.